This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. It's great to be here. It's great to see so many of you here as we wrap up this series. You know, and it, it, it just is, it's a great question, right? Like, how do we let our life speak? You know, and, and again, almost weekly as a pastor, I have somebody come in and, and that's the essential question they're asking. Like, I want my life to speak. I feel like it should be speaking. I just feel like I'm just not quite there. And how is it that we can have that conversation, start to think about that conversation, start to live lives of great purpose? That's what it's really all about. And we've been looking at this. I'm going to have you say these words really loud. We've been looking at one man sort of coming of age, his, his statement, his vocation statement. So, so I want you to say these words really loud with me. Let my people go. We're going to look at that statement of vocation. I realize for a first time attenders, like, what's he talking about? I want to talk about what I'm talking about here for a minute. Get everybody caught up so we can all be on the same page. We've been looking at this series, and it's had four parts. It started out with we're born with a gift. Second part was our path of wine. So so we know we have a gift. But the gift, it's it's like we talked about the myth of of American Idol, sort of that we'll get discovered in one moment, boom, and then we're Kelly Clarkson. Doesn't tend to work that way. Yeah, we all have a gift, but that gift takes time, and that time that it will wind as the path winds, and the gift starts to mature. And then the third part we looked at is there will be a moment. Last week, we talked about a burning bush moment where all of a sudden, like, where where the things kind of come together, and we have one of those real aha experiences where where our lives and and this spiritual part come together. Now, Now, my theory is that the spiritual part is always coming together. We're just not always aware of it. But they're wonderful moments. We're actually the veil's part and we get it. We get it. We see it. We feel alive in a way that's almost impossible to describe. We feel joy beyond words as those two things intersect in these incredible moments. And then today, we're looking at the last one. You'll come to know it. You're going to come to know your vacation. And I'm going to have you say the S word there at the end. And your life will speak. Your life will speak. Your life will come together and your life actually will speak. Now, we're looking, we've been looking at this journey from the book of Exodus, an old, Old Testament book, thousands of years old. And we've been looking at one man's story. That man is Moses and it's his coming of age. One of the most famous leaders of all time. And you may not know much about him. I'm going to try to capture his life in these, in these little panels here. Because this is his story as we've looked at it. On the left, when, when Moses was born, his mother was so afraid that the, that, the, that the Egyptian soldiers were going to destroy her precious baby that she hid him. She hid the child. She put him in some reeds. That's there on the left. Eventually, he was discovered there. After he's discovered, he's he's given over to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter actually discovers him, which is kind of ironic part of the story, and takes care of him. Now, it begs the question, right? Like, well, why why was he in danger? Well, he was in danger because he was was part of the Jewish people. He was part of it. He was was one of those, the children of Israel. And and they had been taken over by the Egyptians who'd gone up into that land, gathered them as slaves, brought them back down to Egypt. And then that's where the story continues. So this, this young man, he's, he's raised over time as an Egyptian, even though he's Jewish. And he's raised in Pharaoh's house. That's Pharaoh there, the next one down. And, and you know, with all the perks and the privileges of being part of the ruling elite. And again, you didn't have middle class at that time. You sort of had the ruling elite and everybody else. 
So he was part of that very distinct group. But then what he started to notice was he started to notice the people who he knew he was part of, he started to see their slavery. And, and, and he's out one day and he sees this, this Egyptian taskmaster you know, just beating on this slave and he, he just can't take it, he snaps. He kills the Egyptian slave master. And then he knows that his life is in jeopardy. So he runs away, again, giving up all the comfort, all the knowledge, all the, all the privilege that he'd grown up with. He had to leave. So he leaves that and he flees to Midian. Can we all say Midian really loud? Midian. So he flees to Midian, flees way out in the desert. There he finds a wife, starts having a family, but he says this line, just a beautiful line. He says, you know, I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. He just knows it's, it's not where he belongs. Again, and his life was pretty good. He he'd sort of had earned back a certain status. He was a, was a successful farmer. That was sort of the, the top of the economic pyramid at that time. You know, he was very successful at what he was doing, but, but somehow he still knew he was a foreigner in a foreign land. You ever feel that way? Yep. yep. <laughs> I'm living in my life, and I'm a complete stranger. I just, I don't fit. I don't know why, I just, I just don't fit. How many of us feel like we're perpetually in junior high school? You know, that's me. You know, I feel like I don't fit all the time. And, and, and that's, that's part of this life's journey. Again, we're talking about the path that will wind. And then all of a sudden, on the far right, he has this moment, this burning bush. And, and I, I really want to focus on this, folks. Like, like, as he saw this burning bush, the miracle there is not that the bush was burning, right? Because, I, I mean, yeah, bushes burn. We've probably seen that. Not, I mean, it was strange to have in the middle of a desert. But, you know, you read through the account. He doesn't, sort of isn't shocked by the fact that the, the, the bush is burning. He's shocked that the fire isn't consuming it. And the real miracle there is this. Ready? The real miracle is that he noticed that he noticed. Last week we talked about how there's, there's burning bushes around us all the time. I mean, hundreds of them. God had shown up. Anybody remember the number? How many times had God showed up? I completely made up the number. How many times had he shown up? Oh, good memory. 135 times, 136, he finally sees it. That's not literally true. But I think we, we do that, right? Where we just go through our life and then all of a sudden we see the miracle. We see the miracle of it. You know, I remember coming out of a funeral, having this wonderful conversation with, with a man who had recently lost his spouse. And he said, you know, Chuck, I never realized how beautiful flowers were until my wife passed. You know, think about that. Like, like within this really hard moment, it got him to sort of slow down and to see what he saw as a burning bush. And maybe when we see that, folks, listen to this. Maybe we can see that it's not just that sacred ground, that it's all sacred ground. That the whole thing is sacred. All over the place, we can have these moments, these connections, that it can have deep meaning to, to us and deep meaning to others as well. And think about for yourself, folks, like, like what would your panels be? You know, if you were to show your life in like five panels, what would they be? Because I think that the lesson we're trying to get to is this. We think about the way that we might want it, but this is what the truth is. We struggle with, I'm going to have you say the I word there. We struggle with 
immature projections of what we think life ought to be. What we think life ought to be. Isn't that powerful? Right? See, if, if, if you, think of your mo- you think of your life like a movie, and we tend to think in these panels... And, and, and I, have, I had clear, clear, clear panels of the way my life was supposed to go, as all of you did. You know, it went from sort of fireman to fighter pilot. You know? And, and I imagine that rings true for a lot of you. But, but the reality is, is that, that they're sort of immature. Now, that doesn't make them bad and wrong. They're just not mature yet. And I think our vocation can be the same way. We can, we can sort of think, well, this is how it's going to chunk out my vocation and my call. And I think God like goes, yep, that's true. That's, that's a great starting point. You're giving me something to work with. But the reality is what we have to get to is this. We find life in a mature surrender to the flow of things that are and things that want to be. Things that are and things that want to be. And it's sort of a, folks, it, I want to really, really focus on that. Like, this is a mature surrender piece. It's a mature turning over. It's a mature kind of where, where, where we slowly start to get it. And, 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 and this piece of New Church theology, I think, is so critical. This is how it's, it's phrased in the New Church. God's active is in our passive. Now, what does that mean in terms of surrender? Well, I think what it means is this. You think about the way we see the world and the way we think the world is going to go, the way we think our vocation is going to play out. It inevitably won't match up with that. And when it doesn't match up with the way we think it should, it should go, fear, anxiety, even desperation. Do those words ring true for any of you? Desperation. Even those words, they, they start to come up and we, we find ourselves deeply agitated because we, we're just flipping through the book and it's not making sense. And it gets where God goes, okay, I need you to surrender. I need you to allow your part to quiet so that my voice in you and through you can grow. That's, that's why a lot of people, like it, it, it continually trips me up when I talk about surrender, that, that, that surrender doesn't look like complacency. I want to say that again. Surrender doesn't look like complacency. Complacency is like, meh, meh. Doesn't really matter, you know, nothing really counts, uh, you know. It's not a complacency. It's it's maybe even where where we surrender that complacency. Like even that complacency somehow deflates. And what happens is God starts to rise in our hearts and we can actually find ourselves, listen to this, we can actually find ourselves doing incredibly courageous things. Incredibly brave things in this weird way, paradoxically, because it's not us, but it's completely us. It's the real us. Not the part of you that's afraid or desperate or frenetic or always wondering, wondering, wondering. It's, 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 it's that part, like I love, love, love what Gary said. You know, it's, it's that part that isn't always sort of wringing our hands, why this, why that? It's that part that's able to say what? What can I do? What can I reach out with? How can I start to make a difference out there into the world? 
Now, I want to talk in the second part of the service, we're going to look at some real specifics with this in terms of how our world is functioning. And I want to sort of approach it right now globally. Like, what does it look like when somebody starts to get their vocation? Here's a text message I got. I, I whited out their name. That was a technological feat for me, by the way, just so you know. Uh, you know, somebody texted me and I, I texted them. I said, look, I so much appreciate the work you're doing with addicts down in Philadelphia. I so appreciate it. Just thank you very much. And that person texts me back, thanks, Chuck. This just feels so right for me, like I was being guided in this direction all along. And I texted back, maybe because you were. You know, like, yeah, maybe because you were. Maybe because this is, this is the way it was supposed to be. And we sort of have that sense where we've been traveling this journey. We've been traveling through those five panels. And then all of a sudden we get, oh, I've been on this journey all along. And now I'm finally starting to really get it starting to see the journey. Divine providence, I'm starting to see the river. Now that, of course, is what it may look like. It may look like a text like that. I want you now to hear what it might sound like. I asked Rebecca, our wonderful volunteer who sings with us every week, to to tell you a story and then sing you a story. Her story about what it's been like coming to this idea of vocation. So Rebecca, not sure what's going to come in. Good morning. Give me just a second to get my cheat sheet here. All right. So following today's theme about how our immature understanding of our future will likely not be anything like what our Father has in store for us, Pastor Chuck asked me to share just a little bit of my experience. So as children, we are asked about as early as we can comprehend What do you want to be? What do you want to do with your life? It becomes almost ingrained in us that the direction we go in our life is our decision. So we start planning. I was very lucky. Um, I knew very, very early in life exactly what I wanted to be. I carefully observed everybody around me, and I came to the conclusion that I wanted to be a princess. Once I realized that princess was not actually an available job description, I switched to other things. Veterinarian, writer, lawyer, doctor, president, singer, actress, teacher, mother. I obviously never really had a plan or vision for my life. I had a lot of ideas. I had a lot of things I wanted to do, and I pursued them vividly at every turn. I had a general idea that I was going to go to college. I was going to get a great job. I was going to meet a wonderful man, settle down, have children, live happily ever after, and hopefully be famous. Well, didn't quite go that way. (laughs) Um, At each point, my parents would listen and nod, and smile. And they'd remind me to stop, and pray, and ask God for guidance. Now, I prayed, but at that point in my life, my prayers were more along the lines of, God, this is what I want, make it happen. He doesn't really like that. (laughs) So, I got my my, my BFA, my, my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Theater Design. I went to work for Disney. 
and moved to Nashville. My dad likes to refer to this part of my life as when Becca ran away with the circus and then moved to Nashville to live in a commune with a guy named Blue. To be fair, uh, my Disney checks did come in with Ringling Brothers on the corner. Apparently, they handled payroll. Um, I did live in a house with seven musicians. It was not a commune. And there definitely was a guy named Blue. I worked very hard to find a partner. I didn't pray about it. I worked for it. And so I ended up getting the whole kid's marriage thing completely out of sequence, followed it up with a divorce, ended up in banking, and found myself at a dead end. A single mother, struggling to make ends meet, trying to feed my child, leaning on my parents, singing at bars. I wasn't anywhere near the life that I had envisioned. After a little bit of struggle, my dad suggested I go get an MBA, thinking it would help me pivot. This actually turned out to be an excruciating experience because apparently there is a very traditional path that most MBA students take, and I wasn't anywhere near it. After many, many months of hearing, wow, wow, you have a fascinating story, but I really don't think you're going to fit here. I was broken. I landed on my knees in tears. And I prayed, finally, God, what do you want for me? It was my first leap, and he honored it. An MBA program opened up. I packed up my son and my life. I left my family and everything I knew. I moved from the Florida Keys to Massachusetts. I had no family. I had no friends. I had no support system. And God, it snowed. I wasn't sure about the choice that God had asked of me. But I did it anyway. After two harrowing and very exciting years, I had another big decision on my plate. I had two job opportunities on the line, neither of which were what I wanted to do, but they were close. And I had a long-term relationship that, though tumultuous, I was trying to preserve. Taking either job opportunity meant forfeiting the relationship. Of the two job opportunities, the stable one, the secure one, the guaranteed one that my dad had graciously found for me, I wasn't passionate about, and I didn't know how to tell him. The second opportunity was exciting, and it was with a seemingly risky entrepreneurial venture in a town called King of Where? Prussia, I have learned. So I tried to logic and reason my way into an answer. I sat down and I wrote lists, and I checked out the pros and the cons, and I talked to everybody that I could think of, and no matter what I did, I couldn't find an answer. I couldn't manufacture one. And so once again, lost, broken, I got down on my knees in an empty apartment late at night. I closed my eyes and I asked, okay, God, what do you want for me? I kind of know where I want to go, but I have this guaranteed job and this relationship that, though tumultuous, I have worked so hard for. What do you want me to do with these two items? And I sat. 
and I listened. And somewhere out of the silence, I felt more than heard, let them go. And I thought, whoops, oh, I didn't mean to interject that, sorry. (laughs) I was listening, I thought I was listening anyway. And I stopped and I said, okay, God, I don't know if that was you or me. So I'm going to ask again, what do you want me to do? And again, I got let them go. And this time it came with a peace that was unmistakable. The path God laid out, for, out before me was scary. I had never even visited Pennsylvania. I didn't really know the company I was getting involved with. Certainly didn't have family or friends out here. It was even farther from what I knew. But God called. So I did it anyway. And I have been lucky to find a job that puts me close enough to doctor and lawyer and writer and actress. I found a church and bands that let me be singer. I have a beautiful son in a wonderful school district that allows me to be teacher and mother. I've grown my family. And I have been blessed that all the men in my family, big and small, make me feel like a princess every day. It took me more years than I'm willing to admit. Okay, I'll go with 30. Um, to figure out that I needed to stop and not demand what I wanted and not push for what I wanted, but ask what God wanted for me. He may not, he may not give you a burning bush, but if your heart is open, you will hear him. And the directions may not make sense, but if you trust him and do it anyway, you will be blessed. Thank you. Add to her list of princess a tatch-on preacher. That was a great, that was great. How beautiful. Let's just sit for a minute with, with what we just were offered by Rebecca there. You know, it's, it's a beautiful offering when we, can, when we can speak. I mean, that's vocation, right? When our hearts, when our hearts start to come alive and our, and our life literally speaks or literally starts to sing. God's active in our passive. You know, we're demanding that God follow our script, but our humble humility to just take on the task that God has put before us has stirred in our heart. We see that in this, in this story of Moses as, as, as the story comes to that, that, that part that we've been, we've been focusing on for, for four weeks now. And that's what I want to read to you now. For those of you who are following along, this is Exodus 4 verses 29 down to Exodus 5. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And just imagine this, folks. Like, like these were an oppressed people. These were people sitting there who'd, who'd been in slavery for decades. 
And along comes this promise, this, these, these, these two people saying, look, you know, it is about an exodus. It is about freedom. God sees your suffering. And we see it as well. And when they heard that the Lord was, listen to this, when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, and I could change the words, concerned about you, and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, ready for this line? This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let's all say that really loud as I read it from the Bible here. Let my people go. Let my people go. You know, I, I think about like, like Moses in that moment. What was, what was that moment like for him? Well, I imagine it's, it's, it's where, again, like he would have seen. Now, he would not have had the theology speak of God's active and our passive. But he would have clearly seen God's activity in his life. Ready for this? And all those panels, those five panels fit. All those five panels fit. Because it's interesting, right? You know, let my people go. Was that... Moses saying that, or was that God saying that? And the answer is, yeah, you could just say yes. <laughs> yes! It was, it was both these voices coming together, let my people go. It was this, this deep, rich understanding. And, and I do imagine him being incredibly afraid. I mean, just imagine you're sort of like coming up in front of the almighty Oz, you know, the Wizard of Oz, and there's, and there's the, the wizard, and it's like, ah, oh, what do I do? And, and uh, how trembling, you know, I think of the cowardly lion at that moment. I imagine there was a lot of that for Moses, but there also was this. There also was peace. Peace in his heart. That peace that Rebecca talked about. That peace that just simply knew that, yes, this was the vocation, this was the call, this is the way things have been supposed to be, this is the way things are supposed to be, and just that simple surrender to it. And, and I can imagine him just saying, just, just with words, very calm, very confident, and at the same time trembling, if that makes sense. Pharaoh, this is what God has told me to tell you. Let my people go. Very simple, very profound in the way that the world comes together. Now, was Moses successful in his journey? The answer is yes. You know, the modern state of Israel goes right back to this story. Clearly, he, he, he was successful. Clearly, he, he followed God's call. And clearly, he was able to do those things that God had called him to do, knowing again that it was not an easy journey. And maybe what might, th what might this be like? Well, here's some pieces of new church theology, I think, to speak of what that vocation time can be like. What it might be about. I love this part on the left. It's, well, on the left. it's where our intellectual abilities fuse with our heavenly gifts. Where, where what we know and the gifts that God had given, they fuse, they graft together. And what we get to know is this. Can we say these three? Gladness, gratitude, and freedom. 
Happy, joyous, and free would be another way to say that. And isn't that the way we really feel when we're in those vocational moments, even when they're incredibly difficult and incredibly hard to work through? But they lead to this deeper wisdom. We talked about how so much of our life we based on facts, but vocation's really based on wisdom, on a listening versus on a doing. And, and, and you think about, about Moses sort of coming to that happy, joyous, free time where, where even though it's hard, he would, have, he would have known like this is where he was supposed to be. And you think about how that would have shaped his life experience. Just imagine that. You know, and, and I would offer to you, you know, feel free sometime this today, like text in to me what maybe you're seeing as your vocational statement. What's your version of let my people go? Because Moses really came to, new, to know stuff. Look at this beautiful line from Deuteronomy here. This comes where he's, they're almost in the promised land and, and he sort of gathered them for sort of a last pep talk as they're about to go in. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. He's talking about God's word moving in them. It's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. I'm going to have you say the N word there. No, the word is very near. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So you may obey it. You've already been given the love for it. You've already been given the words to speak to it, whether you know that or not. Now, do our vocations, do they get realized again? Does it, does it all fall out the way we imagine? No, Moses' story doesn't. None of our stories do. But, but there is something to that clarity. I want to share with you some words from Maya Angela where, where she talked about like her final coming together, where she finally like got sort of what, what her vocation was. And I think it speaks to what so much of us can do. This is Maya Angelou. I know that since life is our most precious gift, and as far as we are absolutely certain, it's given us to live on this earth but once. Let us so live we will not regret years of useless virtue and inertia and timidity and ignorance. And in our last moments, we can say, all my life, really listen to this, all my life, all my conscious energies have been dedicated to the most noble cause in the world, the liberation of the human mind and spirit, beginning with my own. Powerful words there by Maya Angelou. And, and this is something, folks, like I want to close by just, just coming back to how important these conversations around vocation are. I want to come over here and sit for a minute and talk about that sort of off the cuff about why I think that's so incredibly significant. You know, we all have those, those burning bush pieces, those, those things that, that God's starting to move in our life. And, and for you to come to your vocation is a very noble and worthwhile and important cause. It's something to really pay attention to. And, and it may even ask you to see life very differently than you're currently seeing it. It's not just about finding happiness at work, though I do hope that you find a job that can make you happy. It's something much, much more, much greater than that. 
he was reading the paper yesterday, you know, and if, if you know, looking, looking at the, the New York Times and the, the top left article is, is about the horrific shooting in, in South Carolina. Nine people dead. And then the bottom right is an article about the Pope talking about his, his, his what, he's, what he's saying about the environment and how we have to take care of the environment more and more. We have to understand that they're all one. See, see, the world is crying, is crying out there, folks, for people who are willing to listen to what a vocation might actually be. Who are able to maybe think about the way these things can move in your life. Who are able to do the hard work of moving beyond what you quote unquote know. Just like Rebecca talked about, moving beyond what, what may be the, always the rational, that makes sense solution and move towards something that may not necessarily make a whole lot of sense right now, but starting to be open to it. See, and of course, there's going to be voices that tell you that that can't happen. Here's a little word study for you. In the Bible, the word Satan could also be translated the accuser. So you think about that voice, you know, sometimes we think about angel on one side, a, a demon or Satan on the other, you know, it's a, an old image. But that, that idea of, of, of that, that's, that's what Satan or, 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 or evil would want you to believe. They would want you to, to hear the voice of the accuser. The accuser that tells you this journey is worthless. This accuser that tells you, who are you to have a vocation? You can't sing like Rebecca. But our job is to counter those voices. Our job is to allow those voices to still. And why is this journey, like here's something for you, why is this journey so valuable to take? Because you're loved. Because God loves you. Exodus is the dominant paradigm of the whole Bible in a sense. It's about you coming through freedom into your true life, your truest of life, into heaven on earth. And again, a heaven that can be translated right up into the next life. It's a very powerful space to be. And I want to say it's, it's not just a space, uh, you know, as, as an individual. It's not just a space where you can kind of sit and be. Like we talked about this, one of the biggest threats, I think, to all of religion is the idea of private salvation. Some people call it cafeteria Christianity, where we just kind of pick little pieces that work for us, but, but there's never any offer of sacrifice. There's never any offer of, of something bigger into a bigger picture, into a bigger moment. To use Moses' story, that would have been like if he just stayed in Midian because that was what was comfortable. So we have to make these choices, yes, as individuals, just as Moses did, and we have to make these choices, yes, as a people, as an organization, as a group. And boy, is it beautiful to watch when that happens. Incredibly beautiful. So let's let our lives speak. Let's let our lives speak. Let your life speak. Let the communities, let this church's life Speak. Allow it that freedom and feel the blessing that can be there. We're going to close this series by offering a prayer. You have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to say your own prayer, moment of quiet reflection. And what I'd ask you to do is I'd ask you to stand up for this last prayer because actually the band's going to be teaching a little bit of this last song. We're going to sing our way out of this series.
Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And Lord, this, let our lives speak. Allow us, Lord, to find ways for our lives to speak. Allow us, Lord, to find that freedom, that that the words of let my people go, however that may show up for us, Lord, allow us in some way to sense it, to live into it, to be part of its peaceful, gentle rhythms. Allow, Lord, those gentle rhythms to call us to courage to call us to be able to confront the things we need to confront, to do the things that we, we do, Lord, and to do the work that you have given us to do. Our tasks, our call, done not for us, but for you and for other people. Allow us, Lord, to live there. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to be together for this series, to think as a community about what it means to let our lives speak. Lord, allow us as well our prayers to go out as a calming bomb for those who are hurting in South Carolina. Allow us, Lord, to be with them in spirit as well this week. Allow us, Lord, to see our work and understand that we can. We can make it work. In your name, we pray with gratitude and love. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 